But let's look at this story in John chapter 12 today. As we wrap up our series on the blessed life, John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, can you hear that? Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day, uh, so she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you will not always have me. Father, we thank you uh, for your word today and pray you bring it alive inside of us. And Father, help our hearts learn and grow. Bring revelation where revelation needs to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we wrap up our series that we've been in for the last six weeks on the blessed life. A lot of that's come by, from a book by the same name. It's something we do occasionally uh, occasionally here. Um, some of it does, some of it hasn't, some of it's from us. But as the Lord has led us, we've tried to deliver this series to you faithfully. Whenever I talk about this issue, especially this issue that's at the center of this series, money, I feel it's important for people to know where I'm coming from. So I'm going to tell you a couple of stories right up front that many of you have been around here for many years have heard before. And I'm going to ask you to be patient because I, I, I want everybody to understand, you know, where I come from when I talk about these issues. I was uh, raised in a pastor's home. Uh, my parents took me to church, literally took me to church, before they took me home. Uh, my parents were tithers and were givers and believed in generosity, listen, in the church and outside the church. And you hear us talk about generosity. We're not just talking about something you do in the church. We're talking about a lifestyle of being generous and open to what the Lord would tell you and lead you to do. My dad was one that, uh, he never preached this, he never taught this, but people witnessed this. I still have, have had people talk to me about it just in the last year. He was always one that if an offering came by, he was going to put something in it. Didn't matter whether it was here, didn't matter if it was a special occasion, didn't matter if we were at another church, didn't matter if we were at a special conference. He just believed God had blessed him so much that he wasn't going to let the offering go by and not invest in the kingdom some way. That was just the way he approached, uh, he approached life and giving. He, he was a tither all of his life, uh, all of his saved life that I know of. Not all of his life, but all of his saved life. And my mom and dad believed in giving and believed in giving generously to the church of their time, of their resources, uh, not just of money, but of all the things that they had. And, you know, I remember my dad, you know, 
bringing stuff that we had at the home. And I just kind of knew a lot of times, once it walks out the door and goes to church, we're never going to see it again. <laughs> it's now the church's. And he'd bring, whether that was a movie projector or some other thing, he, and he, he had no qualms about just letting those things go and giving them either to the church or to somebody uh, that had need. And that's just the way he lived his life. So even as I was growing up as a little boy, when I would go to church, when we would go to church, they would always, before I went down to the children's department, they would give me some money, a quarter, a dollar, something, and they'd say to me, this is for the offering. You put this in the offering because they were teaching me uh, to give and, uh, and to support the church. And so they would give me money. That happened all, all of my life. Uh, and so that was just kind of the witness of what I grew up around and I saw all of my life. It, it was about the time that the church started. We'd moved in 1966 and the church had started. We'd, we'd been in the Knights of Pythias Hall, a, a house that was just kind of a, a lodge hall for this group of guys. And we were there for a few weeks. And then we moved from there to uh, the Black Hawk grade school gymnasium. And for, for months, that's where we had church while they were preparing to build and building the first church on Walnut Street that was Calvary Church, the first little building. We, we ended up building two buildings there before we moved to Jefferson Street in 1970. And while they were doing that, they had started a children's ministry. They started it, I think, the second week of the church because they've always believed that children and youth uh, need to have some special attention given to them and, and, and need to learn. So they started that week two. And so they'd start, as we moved to Blackhawk School, we had that. I was about nine years old at the time. And they had these two Sunday school, they had these two classrooms. We went to Blackhawk School. I could take you right to where those classrooms were at, one for the older, for the teenagers and one for the, for the uh, grade school kids and younger. And of course, I was there with the grade school kids. And probably 10, 12, 15 of us in this classroom every Sunday morning. And somebody had gone out, and they, they, they were, they'd started a series of lessons. Somebody had gone out and had gotten, like a ref, I think, a refrigerator box. And they'd, you know, cut some slits in it, and they'd, they'd been real crafty, and painted it, and made it look like an old Western uh, bank, teller's, uh, bank teller's window. And so, because there were so few of us, they were teaching us about the kingdom of God, and they were teaching us about storing up treasures in heaven. And so what they had done in this class is they had developed this bank teller's window, and they made little bank books for us. And you could come up, and instead of passing the plate at offering time, you would come up to the window. Uh, they would call your name and say, do you have anything you want to give? Or they'd come out and get you. Do you have anything you want to give? And you'd walk over to the window and you'd take your little quarter or dollar or whatever you had and you'd give it to the gal behind and she would write in your little personal bank book how much treasure you'd placed in the kingdom. And it's kind of a cool little thing to kind of get a visual picture for us. And, the, and I, you know, I kind of like this whole thing. And so that's what they had, had started doing. 
It was about that time that my dad came to me and said to me, uh, you're always asking for money, uh, like kids do. And he said, so I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get some money, but you need to learn uh, that you've got to earn some money. So what he did for me, and, and maybe you've heard this story, what he did for me is he said he got a pair of shoes out, a pair of his shoes out, and he taught me how to shine his shoes. And he said to me, he said, uh, I got all these shoes, new ones, old ones in, in, my, in my closet. Uh, you shine them, and every pair that you shine, I will give you a quarter. And I looked inside of his closet. He had a lot of different shoes, and I grabbed up, you know, like seven pair of those shoes and took them out to the garage on this first Saturday that he'd give me. He told me, you can do this any, any, once, once a week. You can do this any time you want to. As many of my shoes you want to shine, you can shine. But I'm telling you, from now on, when you ask me for money, I'm going to ask you, are my shoes shined? Because if my shoes aren't shined, you haven't done what you can do. And, but if you shine my shoes, you tell me how many you shine, I'm going to give you a quarter for every pair that, that you shine. So I, that, that particular day, I, I think I took seven pairs of shoes out into the garage, and, and I shined them, and he came out and inspected them, showed me what I did wrong, and showed me what I did right, and helped me get it right. And, and at, the end of the, at the end of that, he gave me $1.75 in quarters. And then we talked you know, about giving and about tithe. He said, now tomorrow I'm not giving you money. You've got to take your own money. And I determined I'm going to, I'm, 25 cents is more than tithe, but I'm going, to give, I'm going to give a quarter tomorrow. I'm going to give a quarter tomorrow. And so the next day, you know, nine-year-old Mark walks into Blackhawk School, down into our Sunday school classroom, and I've got a buck 75 in my pocket. I am a man with money. Now, you've got to realize, <laughs> some of you think buck 75 can't even get a, Coke someplace anymore. Back in those, this how this how long ago this you could buy a candy bar for a nickel and they were twice as big as the candy bars now. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, they, they these huge candy bars. I mean, they just jacked you up with sugar. It was great. And and so for a, a nickel or a dime, you were you were flying for the week. And so I'm thinking, okay, you know, we'll go out to eat after church, which is what we did, and I'd always ask Dad for money, but I've got my own money in my pocket. Now I can get whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I'm, I, I'm cooking. You know, just think back in those days, you could fill up your gas tank for 25 cents. So I could, you know, uh, uh, get a gallon of gas for 25 cents. So you could put, you know, several gallons of gas in your car and drive some. But I didn't have a car at nine years old, but that's a whole other deal. So that Sunday, I'm sitting there. I go in with this buck 75 in my pocket. And I'm sitting there, and they're doing their thing and listening. And I'm ready to walk up and give my quarter. And for the very first time in my life that I can, that I can pinpoint, that I know for sure, that I have any memory of, for the very first time in my life, God spoke to me. It wasn't audible voice. He just spoke clearly into my heart. I knew, I knew when he spoke to me that this was the voice of God speaking in my life. Now, friends, I'm telling you, I didn't understand about salvation yet. I didn't understand a lot of things yet. But at that moment, he spoke into my heart, and he said, I was getting ready to go give that quarter. 
And he said to me very simply, today, I don't want the quarter. Today, I want it all. I could take you to the room. I could take you about the place in the room I was sitting. As I heard that voice speak to me, today, I want it all. And I sat there thinking about what that meant to me. I'm thinking about there's not going to be a candy bar after church today. I'm not going to have any more money. I've got to shine more shoes. I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about all of this. And I couldn't escape this message in my spirit. Today, I want it all. And so that morning, I walked up to that, uh, to that table and took my buck 75 out and slid it across to the lady behind there. And she wrote $1.75 in my book. Now, the second thing happened that morning to me at that moment that, that I'd never, never experienced before. At that moment, I experienced the pleasure of God. In that moment, it was like God was speaking into my heart as a little boy, well done. Well done. Well done. And I went back to my chair filled with joy. I remember taking my book and going out and sitting down. My mom, we, we'd have church after Sunday school, and we, I went and sat down next to my mom on the very front row because that's where I had to sit. They didn't trust me anyplace else. I had to sit right there next to my mom. And everything, and, and I remember wanting to pull that book out and show her what I had done that day and realize no, I, I shouldn't do that. This is between me and God. I remember going later uh, to dinner with my mom and dad, and we got to the end. I wanted to go, I wanted a candy bar. I wanted to go over to my dad and say, uh, Can I get some money for a candy bar? All the shoes are shined, and I gave everything else to church. And realizing as a nine year old boy, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. This is part of what I gave today. Now, I didn't know it at the time. But as I look back at my life, that broke a lot of things open for me. I've ne- I'll just stand here and tell you, I've never, that I know of in my mind, I've never made a penny that I haven't tithed on. Every pledge time, every giving time we've ever had in this church from the time I was nine years old to this day, I always sought God about what he would have me to do in that, whether it was as a boy giving $10 to help buy a choir robe or $25 to put a new window in a new building or whatever it might be, what could I do? And I, I always have found joy in that giving. That's what God did in my life as a little boy. And so when you hear me talk about this kind of stuff, when you hear me talk about giving, you need to understand that story about who I am and why I come to you and say, listen, generosity and being a giver will bring blessing into your life. It'll bring the pleasure of God into your life. It'll bring the floodgates of God into your life in many, many ways that you don't even anticipate right now. But God brings into your life things that money can't buy. 
See, I believe the kingdom of God moves forward on our obedience. When we pray, things happen. Book of James, it says, ye have not because ye ask not. Prayer is an action of God where we begin to pray. We're going to talk about this more next week and how much we need to be praying for our nation and for our leaders. You have not because you ask not. How much have you prayed for some of the things that you know are right in God's eyes to have happen? Obedience brings a reward of God. It's an act of faith. When you witness and you share, that is an act of faith where you do what God has told you to do and you share faith with somebody even though it may be uncomfortable, but it's that act of faith that sends a seed out that gets planted in somebody's heart that they begin to realize that God is alive and we're going to stand before him someday and they need to have their heart right with him. When you begin to serve people and use your life to serve others, you begin to, by faith, lift people up and it begins to transform their heart and their life begins to get changed and encouraged and strengthened because you, in obedience, serve others. And the same thing in giving. And I want you to understand this one principal truth this morning. God rewards us when we're obedient. Here's a passage of Scripture I hope every one of you know, I hope every one of you have memorized. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and it says, And without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is about action. Faith is about obedience. Faith is about trusting God and doing what God said and, and believing for his results at the end of the day, even when I don't see it in the moment. And he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him because we have to put our, we have to, in, in this moment, he, he wants us to put our trust in him, to count on him, and to believe in him that he will do what he says he will do. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and listen, and that he rewards those who seek him. Our God is a God who likes to reward the obedient. He loves to reward the obedient. So, so we're going to come back to this in a minute, but when giving is right, Giving is never a drudgery. Giving becomes a joy because you know the pleasure of God is in it. Giving becomes an adventure when you begin to discover the blessing of God coming your way. Giving becomes a faith builder when you see God's reward happen in your life and you realize, wow, look what God has done in my life. Now let me just take a little sidestep here and, and tell you this. For God to bless us specifically in our finances then our finances have to be in order. Our finances have to be in the right place. Uh, let me just tell you one. You know, we need to really look seriously at the debt in our life. There's really two kinds of debt that I want you to think about. There's debt where what you are paying on appreciates in value. So you buy a house, and you buy the right house, you take care of it, 
that house can appreciate in value. You, 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 you get more than what you had before. Then there's other debt that depreciates in value. You go buy a new car today and you put it on, you know, you, you sign up for the payments on it, and the second you drive out the parking lot, what happens to the value of that car? Plummets. And so the wise thing is you want to get rid of all debt that, is, that depreciates and you want to make sure you don't have any debt that doesn't appreciate. That's just getting our finance. That's just being wise in our finances. We want to get rid of credit card debt, get rid of that kind of stuff because it's sucking up what you could be doing. Here is a simple, simple truth. Look at, look at this. If you've done any studies on people who win the lotto or even many athletes that make huge sums of money and then you see, the, see many of their lives Five years after the lotto, five years after they're out of pro sports. And they do specials on this on ESPN. They talk about it. Do you know what happens to so many of them? They're broke. They've made millions and millions and millions of dollars, and they're broke. Why? Because they never got it in order. So even if I sat here today and said, okay, you know, if God said, I'm going to pour blessing into your life, if you've still got a big hole in the ship because you haven't got it in order, it's just going to make the hole bigger. You're just going to still make the same, you're just going to make the decisions at a bigger, the bad decisions at a bigger level. And so you've got to come in and put things in order and get things in order. Number two, to get in order, you can't manipulate people. You can't manipulate others. You know, you, you can't go around telling everybody what your need is. And, you know, God, God brings about his blessing in the way he wants to bring it, bring it about. And number three, to get your finances a place where they're in order and where God can bless you, you've got to be generous. You've got to live a generous life. And that means something different to all of us. In the passage we just read today, there two hearts are revealed. One is Mary's heart. And one is Judas's heart. One heart is a heart of generosity. One heart is a heart of selfishness. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. And, and one person put it this way. Remember, generosity begins with a G. Selfishness begins with an S. God is generous. Satan is selfish. We are born selfish. We are born again generous. One of my daughters, when she was about four years old, three or four years old, she'd been in our children's department. Some of you have heard this story, but I'm going to say it again. She's been in our children's department. She came out, she had a little sack of candy. My uncle happened to be there that day. He was a pastor over in Indiana, and he'd preached for us that day. And they'd come down into the Jefferson Street offices, and she has this little bag of candy, and she's got Tootsie Rolls in this little bag of candy. And, and she had one out and was eating it. And he was like me. He liked Tootsie Rolls. So he looked at her and he says, what you got there? She said, a bag of candy. She says, what you got in there? She said, Tootsie Rolls. He said, can I have one of those Tootsie Rolls? She said, I haven't learned to share yet. <laughs> he didn't get one of those Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> See, nobody has to teach you to be selfish. Somebody has to teach you to be generous or your heart has to be changed. 
for you to become generous. So even as we become Christians, if our finances are not in order, we may hear a missions appeal. We may hear a 50th anniversary appeal. We may hear, have an offering appeal for a department or for a program or for something that's going on. And we say in our heart, I really want to do that. I'd really like to do something. But I can't. I can't. God wants us to be in a place where we can. He wants us to be in a place where we can be generous with what uh, he, he has given to us and we can, instead of being strapped and not able to be generous. So there's the, the two examples in this passage that we're looking at, one is an example of extravagant giving and another is an example of anger. Judas' statement was, why wasn't that sold and given to the poor? And I want to tell you, Anytime you try to do something really nice for the kingdom, we, we've had it said about the cross, we've had it said about other things that we've done as we've moved in here. Whenever you try to do something really nice in the kingdom, somebody's going to come around and say, well, why didn't you just give that to the poor? Just remember where that statement started. It started with who? Judas. And Jesus points it out right away. It has nothing to do about giving anything to the poor. It has to do with Judas's selfish heart. There's always going to, he said, Jesus is always going to be the poor, but there's always, God's not broke. There's always a way to take care of the poor. God's kingdom doesn't lack for resources when God's people are a generous people. Now, Judas said that, Jesus tells us, because he was the treasurer and because he was taking money out of the treasury to spend it on himself. So I want you to get this picture. Judas is a treasure. He's got the money box. He sees something being extravagantly given that he has no control over. He's upset because he wants that money to go in the money box because he wants to have control over it. Now, think about this. People gave offerings to Jesus. The Bible talks about some women who helped support his ministry. Talks about other people who helped support his ministry. They had to have things. They had, just like any ministry has, they had costs and things that they had to cover. People had to be fed. Things had to happen. So they had a treasury, and Jesus, people gave money to Jesus. Jesus looked at the 12 disciples, and, and think about this. Judas ends up being the treasurer. So who put Judas who assigned Judas to be the treasurer? Who gave him the money box? It was Jesus who gave it to him. Jesus did it. Now, do you think that Jesus didn't know what was going on? Do you think Jesus was somehow unaware of the fact that Judas was stealing money out of the money box? 
Two years before this event happens, he makes this statement, did I not choose you 12 and one of you is the devil? Two years before this incident with Mary. But Jesus didn't give the money box to Judas to cause him to fail. He gave it to him to give him an opportunity to pass. He had to have it. Jesus could have just protected him from it. Jesus could have just kept him from ever getting close to the money. Jesus could have put him in a place where he could never get to it, but that would have never given Judas a chance to deal with his selfish heart. He had to put it in his hands so that Judas would have a chance to be transformed. Judas chose not to be transformed. All the way to the point that he ends up in front of the Pharisees making a deal with them for 30 pieces of silver. I'll deliver him into your hands. But listen, just like in every other place where we steal from God, there comes a day when we look at it and despise it and realize we betrayed the only one that should have never been betrayed. And that's how Judas ends up. So here's the deal. Here's what we need to be aware of, and this is a lesson we, we need to learn in this. God will test you. He won't tempt you. He will always provide a way of escape. You and I are being tested right now. Right now. God may have given you power at home or power in some place because he knows you're a person who needs to deal with selfish power. He may have brought somebody into you, allowed somebody to come into your life, something to come into your life that tempts the lust of your flesh because you need to deal with the lust of the flesh. You need to get it right. He hasn't let those things come into your life to destroy you. He's let those things come into your life because he'll never let you be tempted above that which you're able. He's brought those things into your life so you'll become a victor. So that in the victory, your heart will be changed and you'll be transformed. And whatever that is in our life, I need to be aware of it, of where I'm being tempted and where my tests are at in life so that I overcome and I don't give in to those. That can be a test of pride or superiority over others or selfishness or lack of service and wanting to be served. But those things have to be defeated in us. Now, when it comes to this giving issue in particular, there are three levels of giving in the kingdom. Level number one is just tithe. And you can't get to the other levels till you get that one right. And, and that's just this, this, this knowledge that what that God has blessed me. Everything that I have, he has blessed me. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And he says to me, obey me, put your faith in me, and trust me that the 90% blessed is better than the 100% cursed. Trust me in this. Follow me. Take a step of faith because I reward the faithful. Am I, am I, I'm either going to do that or I'm not going to do it. Now, the second step is offerings. And that's when God lays something on somebody's heart to do. That may be a, a missions offering. It may be a, a, 
you know, a 50th anniversary offering. Over this last, a year ago about this time, we had a need in our youth department. I would talked about it two or three times in here, and we, we didn't receive an offering, but I talked about it two or three times. And over the next three months, I had people coming to me and just saying to me, uh, God has laid it upon my heart to help with that. And they would just give me an offering and just bless the church with an offering and help with it. Right now, we're doing uh, one of our missions projects that we're looking at this year is to build a church up in the hills of Vietnam where there's never been a full gospel church at before to put a church up there. It costs about $20,000 to build the church so they can actually have a church building. And we've said, hey, we want to do that, and we've told you we want to do that. And, and guess what? We have people bringing us money and saying, I want to be a part of that and giving money for that. And so we've told our, we've told our, our, our finance department, listen, we want that $20,000. We want to send it this month. Before the end of the month, we want it to go. We want to be able to look at these people in Vietnam and say, build the church. And that's because people have been faithful in giving. Almost every year, we had it happen in the last couple of weeks, somebody will call me or call Pastor Paul, call one of us and say, we hear so-and-so's need. This has happened in the last week, uh, last two weeks. Had somebody call me and say, I, I understand so-and-so, do you know so-and-so in the church? I said, yes, I know. They said, I understand they're in a financial need. I told this story this morning, the people were, sit, were sitting right here. And, and uh, I said, yeah, I understand they have one too. They said, we want to help take care of that. We want to help take care. Now, Pastor, can we give that money to the church? And, and can they, can, can you guys find a way to get it to them? We want to be anonymous in the gift. And they gave a, a sizable check to help bless somebody in our church. And that's just somebody just said, I just want to help take care of somebody's need. And I've heard they have a need. That is an offering. That's just, just God leading your heart, and you say, hey, I can do this, or I can do that, I can do this other thing. It might be taking a meal to somebody. You say, you know what, I'm gonna, they, they, they're, they're, they're going through this thing, I'm going to take a meal to them. That's just, a, just being generous and taking a meal to somebody or going over and helping them with something. That's just being generous. That's an offering. You're offering your time, your talent, your services, Whatever it might be, you're just offering it to somebody else or to someone else. That might be somebody in your office. It might be somebody you see on the street. It might be somebody that, that, that you've heard about or a neighbor that you know or a relative. And God just says, do something. Do something. I'll tell you, 99 times out of 100, when people are begging on the streets, I, I don't do a thing. Nine-nine t- Every now and then the Spirit of the Lord says, do something. So how do you know the difference? Because my nature says don't do anything. God's nature every now and then says do something. Are you with me on this? God wants us to learn to be generous. He wants us to have a generous spirit. Now, the next one is an extravagant offering. An extravagant offering is something that's way past the norm of what you're ever going to do in life. We see the, first, the greatest example of an extravagant offering is God giving his son. That's an extravagant offering. We see David giving to the temple. And I, I read in the last week that, that what, that what he gave. And I, 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 I'm having a hard time getting my mind around this. I'm just going to share with the number and you can judge it forever you want. But they said that what David gave to build the temple would be equivalent to somebody giving $21 billion today. Not million, billion. That's a pretty extravagant gift. 
But there's also another story, because extravagant gifts aren't about amounts. Extravagant gifts are about the heart. So we see in, in Luke chapter 21, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put it in, in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty, put in all that she had. So here's this great picture. There's this offering box at the church, at the, at the temple, where people would bring in and give their, give their offerings as, as they were supposed to, their tithe, their offerings, what they're supposed to give, and they would bring it in and put it in this offering box. And Jesus has stationed himself so he can watch them doing that. I mean, think about how you'd feel if somebody, you know, the ushers are walking down the aisle and the, the offering plate's going by and there's a guy walking behind him just kind of looking at you. What'd he do? Can I see that envelope? What'd he do? Oh, wow. Right, that's good. Hmm, something. That Jesus is watching. That's, a, that's an interesting picture of what Jesus is doing, isn't it? He's watching what they put in. And finally, this little lady comes up who's poor, and she gives all that she has. Now, I'm telling you, that's a faith. I don't believe she gave thinking, this is it. I'm dead now. I'll have no more food now. I'm, this is all I've got. Now I'm going to go sit out on the curb and die. I think she gave in faith. I think she gave in obedience. And Jesus looked at her and said, that's an extravagant offering. She put in more than all the rest of them. Because it's not about amounts. It's about the gift of the heart. He didn't say the people that were rich, that gave, did anything bad or wrong. He didn't condemn them for what. This isn't a message about all those rich people who gave out of the abundance of what they have. They did something wrong. He's not condemning them. He's just saying that was extravagant. That was real faith. And that, that, that doesn't happen to us all the time. But occasionally God moves in our hearts. And calls us to this extra extravagance is not about amount. It's, a, it's an attitude of faith. Now, I want to I get down to this final point about rewards today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now listen to how he describes this. For they gave according to their means. He said they gave according to what they had, what they could, what they could afford. They gave that way, what they could afford. They gave according to their means, as I can testify. And then he goes on. And beyond their, their means. They not only gave what they could afford, they gave more for this specific need. Of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were literally saying, let us do something to help with this need. This is an offering. Let us do something to help. We want to be a part of this. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had, as he had started, so now complete among you this act of grace. What is this act of grace? This act of giving to meet a need. But as you excel in everything, 
in faith and speech and knowledge and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He says, listen, excel in faith. Excel in speech. Get your speech right. Talk right. Live right. Get your knowledge right. Excel in that. Be earnest in the kingdom. Excel in earnestness. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. Excel in this act of generosity to help others as well. Now remember, that's not an amount. Nobody's standing up here today saying, oh, you've got to give this much. No, that's between you and God. That's as God leads you. That's as God direct you. That's as you hear a need and you feel a compassion, you feel a desire, and you sense God leading you, and you say, you know what, I want to do something about that. So we, we ask ourselves, could, 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 could we give a gift that impresses God? I mean, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God, the streets of, of heaven are, are paved with gold. What gift can we give that impresses God? But I would tell you, we impress God when we give generously, when we give obediently, when we give out of our hearts. See, giving is about our heart. So don't think he has your heart if he doesn't have your money. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if your treasure is with God and with doing the work of the kingdom, whether that's giving at church or outside of the church, of your money or your time or your resources and your stuff, Whatever that is, when you give that generously, that's a generous gift, and it's about the heart. And I'm going to tell you, when you give an extravagant gift, when God leads your heart that way, and nobody can, I certainly can't tell you when that might happen, but if God ever leads your heart to give an extravagant gift, you'll never forget it the rest of your life and you'll look back on that moment as a moment of joy and faith when God moved in your life to do something absolutely ridiculous in the eyes of the world but blessed in the eyes of God, wherever that might be. Now, there's a reward for generosity. There's a reward in generosity. In, in this story in particular, Jesus says she's going to be talked about throughout the centuries. Now, grateful people are generous people. Why would she want to honor God this way? Why would she want to honor Jesus this way? Why would she want to be so extremely extravagant? Because, see, just two months before, her brother was dead. And Jesus showed up. And now he's reclining at the table with Jesus. When we understand what God's done for us, when we realize that he has raised us from the dead and we are now spiritually alive, it puts a desire in our heart to be generous. Grateful people are generous people. Generosity is a right response to the work of God in our lives. God always rewards generosity as God always rewards obedience because God loves to reward us. Now listen, I've seen people give and give generously and God bless them financially. I've seen people give and give generously and the blessing comes in more important things than money. When God talks about rewarding us, he's talking about 
great rewards. Now, all of this culminates, this whole reward system culminates at the judgment seat of God where believers' works will be tested. So we all know, if you don't, get this clear, there's a great white throne judgment. We'll all go there. This judgment, the Lamb's Book of Life is open. Your name's either in it or it's not in it. If you've asked Jesus into your life, you put your faith in Jesus to be your Savior, you put your trust in him, your name's in the Lamb's book of life. You rejected Christ, you didn't surrender your life to him, your name's not there, pass, fail, in, out, said and done, in a moment. But then we read these other passages, and they talk about how every word is judged and how, all of our, how we did, what we do with our life is judged. All this other stuff is judged. That's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. The only people who go to the judgment seat of Christ are believers. And when we go to the judgment seat of Christ, everything that he's entrusted us, all he's done for us, is going to be either rewarded or it's going to be lost. It's all going to be tested by the fire. And if we did what we should do with it, if we were good stewards of our gifts, our talents, our resources, our stuff, then that brings reward. And if we weren't, it brings loss. We get into heaven... We just don't have anything to go into heaven with. We have nothing to put at Jesus' feet. We have nothing to give glory to him for. We're just, it's just lost. And so, again, I want you to capture this. This isn't simply about money. This is about all of our stuff. This is about the singer who would rather sing out at the bar than sing in the church. The singer who uses their voice to get self-glory instead of the singer who uses their voice to give glory to God. And every other area of our life you can imagine. Do we use it for the glory of God's kingdom or don't we? Because ultimately, that's the final judgment. So let me wrap this, this whole series up with this story. What if I'm dead wrong? What if I'm dead wrong and, and God doesn't expect us to give generously? What if I'm dead wrong and tithe is an Old Testament thing and not a New Testament thing? What, what if I'm dead wrong and, and, and this just isn't a requirement, you can just do whatever you want? You just do whatever you want. It's your money, you can do whatever you want. God's just saying, do whatever you want. I mean, think about that. God's just saying, yeah, uh, just live your own little cocoon life here and do whatever you want. So two people get saved. Two guys, young guys. They come to Christ. They're sitting here in the church. They accept Christ in their life. God begins to do a work in their life, clean up their life, straighten up their life, build their marriages, build their lives, build their relationships. And one of these guys, he hears this, a message like this today, and he goes, you know what? I think that's true. I think God doesn't want me to be selfish. I think he wants me to be generous. Not only does he want me to be generous, I think he wants to, I think generosity doesn't start till I pay my tithe. And, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay my tithe and trust him for my life because I love him. Because I love his kingdom. I want others to hear what I've heard. I want others to get saved. I want others to come to Christ. And I'm, as he leads me, I'm going to be generous and give to missions and give to other things because I believe if I do that, God will reward me and he'll bless people around the world and feed people around the world and, and, and people's lives will be better because 
Yeah, I've, I've got so much, and God's done so much for me. I'm going to be generous. And, and man, every now and then, if God would lay on my heart and give me the ability to do something to just be extravagant, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to obey it. And he lives his life that way. And the day comes when his time on this earth is over, and the time around the judgment seat of Christ comes, and he walks up. And Jesus looks at him and goes, <clears throat> I just want you to know Pastor was wrong. You didn't have to do any of those things. Nothing, none of that was required. None of that was important. You could have lived, you know, just doing all that stuff for yourself. If you want. But, but you did that because you loved me. You did that because you loved other people and wanted to help other people. You, you did that because you wanted to see the kingdom advance and because of your generosity, the kingdom did advance. The kingdom, people did get fed. People did hear the gospel. People did get encouraged. Departments were built that reached out to kids. All kinds of things happened because, now I'm telling you, it wasn't required. It wasn't required. But look at all the things that happened because of what you did. Now the other guy. The other guy sits here and he gets kind of mad. He said, I'm glad this series is over. I was about to get out of here if they didn't end this series. I was about to be done with all this. Hey, I don't mind dropping in $10 every now and $20 every now. I don't mind doing that occasionally. I understand, you know, we've got to pay for these lights. They probably cost $100 a week. Yeah. I don't mind doing that. Yeah, I understand. I'll, I'll drop a, t a tip in for the children's department every now and then for VBS or whatever. I'll drop a tip in. And when the missionaries come through, wow, that guy really moved me. Hey, here's 100 bucks for that. But as he goes through the rest of his life, he just does his thing. Day comes. And he walks up to the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus walks out and looks at him and goes, <clears throat> You were wrong. Pastor was right. My word was really clear. What I said in my word was very, very clear. I provided you with everything. And I expected you to be a conduit of my blessing to others. I wanted to see your love for me and your understanding that I am your provider so that others could be blessed and others could be taken care of and others could discover too, but you kept it all for yourself. Now, Friends, I want you to hear me. If I'm going to be wrong, if I'm going to be wrong, I want to be this wrong. I don't want to be that wrong. I want to be the wrong that was generous, that did this because I love God, that did this because I believed in his kingdom, that did this because I wanted to help other people, that did this because my spirit said, yeah, take what God's blessed you with and bless others with us. I'll stand before the judgment seat and he'll look at me and say, you didn't have to do that, you didn't have to preach that, but hey, because you did, because you loved me and you wanted to do that, wow, I bless people, I bless them on the earth and I, and I bless others, I'll, I'll take that wrong. I'll take that wrong. So if I'm going to take a risk at being wrong, I'm going to take this side of the story. Now I'm telling you, I don't think I'm wrong. 
I'm 100% convinced I'm dead right because it speaks to the counterculture of the selfish flesh and it speaks to a heart transformed by the generosity of God that makes us generous with others and recognizes God's place in our life. And I challenge you and I call you as your pastor. Listen, it's impossible to please God without faith. You've got to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Amen? Let's stand together today and let's pray. Prayer teams, come on down to the front as we pray today. Lord, I I preach what I am convinced to be true today. I stand here with a tough topic and choose to share the whole story as I see it from your word and as I've experienced it in my life so that others can be a blessing and others can receive your reward. And Lord, I pray that you'd let that eye-opening, that revelation experience happen in people's hearts who need it to happen in their heart. I pray that in the city of Springfield, in the central Illinois, that you will raise us up as a generous people. Father, not, not just in what we do in the church, but Father, I pray you just lead us to be generous wherever we go. Father, not to give glory to ourselves, but Lord, let us give glory. Father, to your name and to your will so that others are drawn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I said earlier, I I rarely give money to people on the streets. As people on the streets, I usually send them to one of the ministries that we support with our money and tell them they need to go there. I just know there's so many flaws in, in, in giving money to people on the streets. But occasionally the Lord will lead me to do something for somebody. And sometimes somebody will come up to me and they'll say, hey, can you do? I'll pay you back someday. <laughs> and I always look at and say, no. I mean, no. You never have to pay me back. Well, I want to. Okay, good. Then go to church next week. You want to pay me back? Go to, go, go to you know, if I'm in another city and I, I, I feel led to give something, here's 25 bucks, whatever, 50 bucks, whatever. Go to, go to find a good church here in town. Go to it next week. And, you know, if I'm, you know, and put 50 bucks in the offer. Because, see, it's not my money anyway. It's his money. It's his money. I want to tell you, if you're generous, you'll feel the pleasure of God. Amen? Now, today, if, if you have any kind of need in your life, any kind of need, I want to encourage you to come down and let somebody pray, for, pray with you. If you're here today and you're not certain of your salvation, you're not certain that if you stood at the great white throne judgment that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Bible gives us a real clear pathway to walk so we can be certain our name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then before you leave here today, come down here and, let, and just look at someone and say, I, I want to make sure my name's in that book that guy's talking about. I want to make sure, I mean, I want to make sure I'm there. You say, oh, I'm a little bashful to come down. Then look at whoever you're with and say, will you go down there with me? They'll be happy to come down with you. And let somebody pray with you. 
most important decision you'll ever make in life is that one decision. And then, church, I call you, let's go out of this place and be open to the Spirit of God to be generous wherever we go. Amen? God bless you. I love you. Hope to see you tonight.